Hello, and welcome to this week's look at stunts and action on film. Now, before we start, I wanted to make it clear that my opinions in this podcast are my own, shared by many, I appreciate, but my words, and consequently, some of you may find them just the teeniest bit offensive. If so, well, you've been warned and have ample time to stop the recording and go back to the Daily Mail crossword. For those who are remaining, uh, no pun intended, here we go. In 1985, I was 13 years old and was hooked on action films. A video shop that opened in the village and as a family we would watch all the latest releases. Dad liked the Stallone movies and had a soft spot for Charles Bronson. We'd watched Death Wish 2 and were very excited to know that a third instalment was to be released that year. This is Death Wish 3. New York, a city pushed to the edge. People pushed to the limit, and no one's got the guts to stop them. It's collection time, Charlie. Three murders, yeah. four rapes, nine acts of random violence. This isn't a neighborhood, it's a war. But there is one way, one man who won't be pushed. Charles Bronson. What's the problem? Now you're going to die. It'll be just like before, Mr. Vigilante. There's one important difference. You're gonna work for me. People have got to start to fight back and hard. I sent them a message. That's him. I'll take care of him. Now, he's in the middle of a war. See what you've done? You got me mad. In a world gone mad, there is only one law. Is Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. Bronson's back in New York, bringing justice to the streets. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. As you will already know if you've seen the movie, it's wall-to-wall gunfire and action. The movie is set in New York, but was filmed in London, around the old St. Thomas's Hospital complex. Added set dressing gave it that authentic New York slum-type appearance, and in the UK, the stunt coordinator was Mark Boyle, who had a very successful career as a stuntman and actor, working on The Sweeney and Doctor Who and films that included uh, Bridge Too Far, Superman, Star Wars and The Long Good Friday. He'd worked with director Michael Winner before, in 1983, on The Wicked Lady, and when he received a call offering him Death Wish 3, 
he would have been made aware of the type of action and stunts required. Now here, we must detour slightly and look at the director, Michael Winner, as his input in the film would ultimately cost one of the stuntmen working on the picture the best part of his career. Say the name Michael Winner to film fans and they'll either say Death Wish, which uh, he first directed in 1974, or Wanker, which he'd been since birth. Ironically, his closest friends simply put up with his ability to annoy anyone within a 10-foot radius, as he'd often be waving a £50 note under their nose at the same time. Winner had, for many years, obtained a reputation on film sets as a misogynist and bully. He didn't care who you were or which department you worked for. Stuntman Vic Armstrong remembers falling out with Winner on the set of the 1978 movie The Big Sleep. Winner had told Vic to simply drive into a telephone box on the street. Vic pointed out that that was a real telephone box, and they should have a prop one to drive into if that was required. Winner stamped his feet and smoked a cigar and demanded that Vic just got on with it as he was costing the production money. Vic chose the sensible route and walked off the set, telling Winner where he could shove his phone box. Who knew that Vic Armstrong invented the reverse charge call? So, with this reputation, crew on Death Wish 3 were often bullied into getting many of his requirements done, with as little fuss as possible. Mark Boyle wasn't one to be pushed around. He knew that his side of the movie was crucial to its success. Now, let's be honest, the movie wasn't going to get nominated for its screenplay or in the acting categories at any award ceremony the following year. So with this in mind, Mark surrounded himself with the cream of British Stunt Register members, stuntmen and women who had worked hard to get where they were and were able to push the action bar to new levels. The movie required motorbike stunts, car stunts, falls and body burns, the armourer must have used hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition on this picture as weapons are fired in almost every scene. Charles Bronson was, by 1985, an old hand at the vigilante picture, and the shoot-em-ups just got better and better. He got on very well with the stunt guys and girls and was happy to pose for photographs. Many moments stand out in the picture. The sight of stuntman Jazza Jays rubbing the pin of a grenade across his teeth. Stuntman tip-tipping, breaking into a house, getting a nine-inch nail through his head before falling backwards over a wall. Stuntman Tom Delmar flying down a flight of metal steps after getting smacked in the face by a baseball bat wielded by stuntman Peter Diamond. And then there is stuntman Rocky Taylor jumping 40 feet from a burning building. Hello crime fans, I'm Sean Coleman. I'm Chris McDonald. And I'm Rob Parker. We are crime authors. Well, I'm a publisher too. And I'm a giggling buffoon. (laughs) (laughs) We are the Blood Brothers and this is our podcast. Every week we speak to the best and brightest in the world of crime fiction. And embarrass ourselves hugely. No, that's just you. Yeah, definitely just you. Great. Coming to you from the Pod Dojo Network. And sponsored by Red Dog Press. We've got new episodes heading your way all the time. With giveaways and games. Interviews and insight. And laughter. Lots of laughter. 
check us out now on all your favorite streaming services and give us five stars so we can't be our own one star superstar the blood brothers podcast your one-stop shop for the best crime chit chat when Rocky arrived on the set that morning, he walked past Mark Boyle and director Winner, who were talking about the upcoming action for the day. He'll do it, said Winner, pointing at Rocky. Mark called Rocky back and told him about the gag. He'd be up on the roof of the building when a fire breaks out. He gets to the edge of the building and jumps. Just as he does, they blow the building up behind him. He'll land in a concealed pit containing boxes and pads. Rocky went up onto the roof with Mark and they walked through what was to happen, where he could be and where he couldn't go. His escape route was marked out, so if he needed a plan B, should anything occur, it was there. He wasn't to know that plan B would be in use so quickly. Now, in the interim period, between Rocky being up on the roof with Mark Boyle and moments before the take, Michael Winner had told special effects man Johnny Evans that he didn't want a piddling little fire like the one you showed me earlier. More fuel, more fuel, do you understand? Bigger, bigger is better. Now this is all well and good if the information is passed on to every department, but it wasn't. He simply chose to give all of the responsibility to Johnny Evans, who really should have told him to go and do one. But sadly didn't, and gave in to his demands. Rocky's in a position now on the roof, and Winner is shouting instructions through a megaphone. Roll cameras, light the building, action. Now no sooner had he said action, the building erupted into a huge fireball. Flames, 15, 20 feet in front of Rocky's face, on the roof. He knew where he had to go, but and he had a pretty good idea where the landing bed was, but he couldn't see it. He decided it was getting way out of hand and went back to his escape route, down a flight of stairs at the back of the building. But they were also ablaze. He finally realised pretty quickly that he had to get off the roof as quickly as possible. He was going to die. From the floor below, stuntman Tom Delmar and Jazzer Jays jump into the landing bed. Over the megaphone, Rocky heard, Rocky! Where's Rocky? He jumps. And then Winner is heard to say, Jolly good. Problem was that it wasn't jolly good. Rocky had jumped blind through the flames and partway down had realised he wasn't going to hit the landing area. To keep it concealed from the camera, a car had been parked in front of it. He managed to get his right leg onto the bed, but his left leg landed on the ground, and consequently he sustained life-threatening injuries. His road to recovery was long and exhausting, and Michael Winner made it very clear that Rocky wouldn't be able to sue him, because, and I quote, "'I'm the director, and you're just a worker. You won't win.' because who's going to believe you? It was a long time before Rocky won his case at the high courts against Canon Films and Johnny Evans, but Michael Winner walked away scot-free, allowing him to direct more films, write a food column in the daily newspaper, and continue to be obnoxious until his death in 2013.
This story can't be allowed to take anything away from the remarkable contribution that the stunt team provided on this movie. Without question, the action on this film is one thing that saw it through. It's talked about today, and many have called it their favourite of Charles Bronson's many outings as Paul Kersey. Now, we'll check out the action in more detail on Friday in the YouTube show, so don't forget to check out that and also the Pod Dojo Network, who are responsible for this podcast. Their details are in the notes below. Until then, it's bye for now.